Hello, ¿cómo estáis? ¿Bien? Well. Okay, you guys mind if I take this off? I mean, you know. It's just me and the cat. Welcome back to the Metropolitan Culture Corner. We're so happy to be with you, even though we're all still kind of in semi-quarantine, phase one, phase two, phase nadie sabe. We don't want to let culture go by the wayside, so we're here again, you're here again. We're super excited today to speak to our guest, Jorge Rodriguez Girada, or Gerada, depends where you live, a Cuban-American artist living in Barcelona. He works in various mediums, including sculpture, but is best known for these amazing, massive portraits that he creates, which are sometimes in the format of a mural on the side of a building, sometimes they're terrestrial interventions on the earth and they can be seen from the air, from street art in the 1990s to his latest large-scale terrestrial series, the thread running through his work, always there is a message behind it. They're not just pretty pictures. He has been asked to create works on the streets of Barcelona, Beirut, New York City, in Belfast. And the only problem for me, is that this interview can't be three hours long because this guy is just so interesting. So thank you for joining us again this month. Sit back, relax, take off the mask if, if you are maintaining social distance and let's go. What I try to do is I try to be able to give some kind of solace to people who feel like they're disenfranchised or you know set apart. If we can give things as examples of how we can be together in a time when we feel more, more diverse than ever, then I'm, then I'm winning. I mean, my, my thing is, I truly believe that we are in this all together. I would like to start at the beginning because in the 1990s, what you did was not street art, so to speak, but culture jamming, which not everybody is familiar with that is. So could you explain what that is and what inspired you to get started in that in the first place? I went to um, a sort of like a multicultural college in, in Jersey City. I mean, I wanted to go to like, you know, you know Pratt or, or you know, Cooper Union, things like this, but I just didn't have the, the right, um, you know, guidance in high school, let's say. But it was really interesting that I found a lot of people who were activists. And I think that, you know, being taught artwork that was based on abstract expressionism, even, even into the early 90s, seemed um, wrong to me. Like, where there was so much to be said, but then you only had to say it with movement and color. I, I looked back at who my heroes were growing up, um, and I was really big on the Mexican muralists. I was really big on, you know, um, Picasso's Guernica as a way to bring attention to the refugee status crisis. So there was artwork that was doing a different task, as opposed to being just something that goes great as a collector's item that matches your couch. There was artwork that was hard hitting and important and, and um, really engaged in its moment in history. The culture gen was basically um, an outpouring of that direction in the streets around New York City and New Jersey at that time, changing billboards. And so there was a disproportionate amount of advertising in minority areas. And then when you would go to an affluent town, there was one billboard that says, buckle your seatbelt. Um, but you came from this really activist roots with a very clear purpose behind your art. So then coming from New York City and ending up eventually in Barcelona, how did being in New York and then ending up later living here, how did that 
influence what you do or change your perspective on what you do? I wanted to get away from the direct culture jam and like changing billboards thing. That was sort of this, this stylistic device used. It ended up being a, you know, almost usurped by the advertising companies themselves. They started basically um, attacking their own ads on purpose to get more press. They would do big banner pieces in front of buildings when they're doing, you know, the renovations of the facades. And they would actually tag them themselves, you know, messages that seemed against, but they were actually for the ad. So the whole thing ends up being taken away from its original direction. So I, it, coming to Barcelona was a way for me to get away and start over. I fell in love with um, party walls, Las Medianeras of Barcelona, where they tear down buildings and you have these very old um, surfaces, wallpapers, paint. You could see where the, the rooms were, the lines of the, of, the, of the other rooms were, where the bathroom was, where the steps were. And I started doing portraits in charcoal on those to talk about the passage of time, the importance of everyone's you know, identity and history and the, and, and the destinies that we have. Because some of your biggest pieces don't last. I mean, the charcoal portraits on the sides of the buildings that wash away in the rain or this massive piece that was 37,000 square meters called Perpetual Flow in Warzazat in Morocco, which was created with gravel, basically. And, and they have these really important messages, but they go away. So how is the ephemeral nature of some of these pieces important in terms of the concept of the piece itself? Not a lot of artists would be willing to work on something that's that massive just to have it go away. Like the, the pieces that were done with sand and soil in Belfast or in, um, in Amsterdam or in, uh, in Washington DC on the National Mall for the Smithsonian, um, they were actually allowed to be created because the area needed sand and soil to be added. So you're basically allowing yourself to become part of a synergy of everybody that wins by making it happen. It's very complex to get those permissions unless everybody's on board. The city, the property owners, the population, you know, what's the story being said and how does it help later once it fades away. The one in Morocco is actually staying and it's actually that gravel is being replaced by desert scrub, like desert plants that are really, really sturdy because I realized that if I give it some kind of natural fertilizer to, the, to that soil, to that desert soil, and it, it couldn't be something that could f fly away, it couldn't be a powder, and it had to be organic. So I basically used organic flower oil, like some flower oil. That's just amazing. Just the concept behind this Greenbelt project in Morocco that you want to make this big piece to represent a big idea, which is something you've said, no? The more important my subject, the larger the art should be. And then, but the fact that you're thinking about sunflower oil and how can we, how can we make this stay and become a part of the ecosystem is just such a different concept than your typical, typical street art. What first drew you to this kind of format and the, these kinds of large pieces that aren't just large in scale, but large in terms of their cultural scope and context? The Barcelona party walls, these, all these textures and stuff made me fall in love with texture. So my gallery work is really based on texture from, from my sculptures all the way to the drawings on old 200 year old wall surfaces. Um, that brought me to my love for um, um, aerial photo photographs. So Google Earth and Google Maps are something that like I do for fun. Like, I, I, like you know, people watch movies, I go on Google Earth. And I love the texture, like if you could make a piece large enough so it becomes part of the terrestrial image from above, 
then you're making a statement of that city or that location in a different way, trying to, you know, appeal to a, to a, a larger consciousness. You know, I'm not necessarily going to a deity or a God or a religion in general, but I'm talking to our consciousness. The fact that we see ourselves on this planet as one people. These works, like some of your best known works, uh, for example, this massive portrait of Barack Obama, or this piece out of many one on the National Mall, which was in 2014. And they're not just big portraits of someone, they're these concepts like the out of many one that was a composite of many immigrant faces. So how does this concept of diversity and the questions that we're still dealing with even in 2020, how does all of that end up informing what you do in the spaces that you do it? Um, because that's a responsibility as well. It's not just a question of pretty pictures in my head, let's put them on the ground, no? No, it's a, it's a question of lots of dialogue. It's a question of listening to the people that you think you should listen to. Going into a location and actually trying to invoke my view of what their future should be is a mistake. All you should ever do um, is, is give a voice to people who have already found the solution. Not try to create your solution for them. And I think that that respect is something that I try to hold in all the work that I do. When I was researching, which by the way was problematic because I, I just watched all the videos on your website. I spent like four hours just watching everything because it was just so interesting. But I, I, I was reading about this project that you just completed a couple days ago, which is this massive, it's 20,000 square feet, right? Uh, it's a memorial to the COVID-19 victims in New York, but specifically um, it's the face of an immigrant doctor and he was part of this organization of doctors called Somos Community Care in New York that are made mostly of Chinese and Latino doctors and they treat the people that are the most marginalized of this entire gigantic massive city, no? What was that like? I mean, just the emotional experience of creating a work that's so not only physically big, but physically big, but like spiritually or emotionally timely and huge in the face of everything the world and especially marginalized communities are going through. You know, it's, it's the African-American and Latino um, communities that are disproportionately hit. But these are the poor people who are like actually running the trains, running the buses, cleaning the hospitals, making sure that everything still works. Um, and anybody that can will stay home because they have enough money to feed their families for two, three months. So it still, you know, the amount of deaths still ends up being racially, you know, um, biased. And this is why I wanted, I wanted to be, you know, uh, completely involved in creating this piece. But was that different than creating some of your other projects? Even though I know they all have their own social meaning and their own human content. Yeah, they were, all, they were all difficult. I mean, you know, like, for example, Wish in Belfast was difficult because there was a lot of people who just didn't want anything talked about. Yeah. The little girl that I did in Belfast is one of the first children born into a Catholic and Protestant family. In, in Northern Ireland. And it's called Wish, right? It's so the little girl hoping for the future. You know, and everybody could take it in their own way, but you hope that they want to take it to a positive way. And do you hope that with the pieces that you do that it will cause people to, to stop and think or to change some kind of something about their opinion? Because in the end of the day, every, every human that's going to come across your work is going to experience it in their own context. So do you believe in the power of art to teach people? Uh, as long as they have an open mind. Not, to, not necessarily teach, but to actually open dialogue. Just basically have them think about the possibilities. What kind of feedback do you get from people? Do you get pushback or is it, or do most people tend to see the coming together aspect of what you do? No, I got pushback in, in every single one. But that pushback comparatively is like 
half of 1% compared to the thousands and thousands of people who are just so thankful that it's done. But you always get, these, you get haters, you get people who just hate change, hate the other side, hate you, hate themselves. And so they're going to be vocal. And then you just can't listen to those people that much. You give them the respect, you know, of, of letting them have their opinion, but you don't let them influence who you are or what you do. Well, in the community, speaking of people, no, it's not just that you have a, you create a work of art and you have a public that then digests this work of art. You also have huge teams of people that are involved in the creation of, especially these large scale works. Uh, for example, there's a video on your website of the piece Recordar, uh, which means remember in front of the Mercado del Born, which is which are these huge eyes with the reflections of the traumas of the past that this country's gone through. And not only does it say at the end of the video that it was funded by contributions from local businesses, but you have all these people from the community participating in the physical creation of a work of art, which is not something that a lot of artists experience. So how does that change or impact the process for you to be kind of the captain of this ship of art, you know? Yeah, you know, that was, that's a great example of just absolute perseverance. <laughs> There was a woman who was working in the city government who was like, in like, she was like revisionist. She was like, who cares about this? We're living now, you know, Franco's dead, no, it doesn't matter. And I'm like, no, look, you know, there was still like, you know, thousands and thousands of bodies in common graves throughout Spain. So no, nothing, you don't forget, everything's not okay. But the reason I, I say it was a study of perseverance is we did it in two days when we were supposed to have a week. Because the final permission was sort of broken through with getting around this one woman. Um, and then my whole goal always was that this was going to be painted in by the people. So we had people who got married, who were actually in a wedding dress, spray painting, you know, oh. and yeah, like, and everybody who would walk by, I mean, it was probably painted by at least 500 people. One technical question is on one hand, I mean, your creations are sometimes made of earth on the earth, which is as organic as you can get. But on the other hand, you use vector technology and GPS topography and all kinds of other very high tech things to create your work. So how is the role of technology important in what you're doing in these very organic contexts? Well, I, mean, I use it in a lot of things. I'm actually using them now in, in my series of sculptures, um, not necessarily the smaller scale brick and stone ones, but definitely for the larger scale metal and monumental ones. And my, my idea is always to blend, you know, Renaissance methods, you know, plasticine and clay and charcoal and ink to the whole concept of new cutting edge programs like grasshopper and um, rhinoceros, which are basically used now for architecture. Wow. So my blend of that is helping me just get a whole new direction in sculpture together, which I'll be showing later this year. The large scale pieces, you know, this doctor that I did um, was gridded. The whole size was 40,000 square feet. I think the final size of him, of the, of the face was maybe 27,500. Um, but I can still do that in a day. If I can draw it out in a day, we don't go to, to high technology. Now, if I literally need a, a, a golf cart or a bicycle or a motorcycle to get to the other end of it, then we go to the other thing, yeah. Well, it's been such a pleasure to speak to you. Most people, are, they have their talking points for how they want to promote their work and they don't talk quite as much about the personal meaning behind it. So for me, 
it's been more interesting to hear that from you than just explaining, you know, how some famous person once told them, told you that they liked what you do. So thank you so much for everything. Thank you everyone for tuning in every month to the Metropolitan Culture Corner, because as you see, this little corner that we do, whether it's a hard rock or whether it's in quarantine, is to shine the light on people who just, I mean, you, you see this, right? That they should be heard. Tune in next month too. I don't know if we'll still be in quarantine. Yeah, veremos. We'll be speaking with the head of the Prostibulo Poetico based in Barcelona. They also have been in New York, in Madrid, and they are an organization that is super interesting. If you don't know what a Prostibulo Poetico is, you will find out. And, you know, I think because it's just me and the cat, I'm not going to put the mask back on. Do you guys mind? Is that okay? 